survive, bitch. <laughs> survive, motherfucker. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? We're back for the first Fear Frequency of 2019. We took a little break uh, last week and then kind of after our Best of 2018 episode because I had to go to CES again for work. I work for a tech YouTuber, and that always surprises people for some reason that... When they hear I work for Austin, but I'm like in a lot of his videos, so I didn't, I just I just forget that it's like not common knowledge. Well, you had the the infamous uh, PUBG moment where you touched the man in the background. That's like easily one of the best moments of 2018 for me. <laughs> I still go to that video because that video did really well. Like people go back to that E3 video a lot, and then I look, I just type in like PUBG or like hand. And <laughs> the comments are so funny. It's it's great. Uh, people don't know that's me. Like they don't know. They think I'm. They don't understand that it's like me, an employee of Austin. They think right. that I'm just a guy doing that. And it's like that's better. I like that. It's fine. <laughs> I'll talk about CES after the intro. But what's what's your name? Uh, I am George Frizzard. <laughs> what's your age? I am twenty five. Okay. All right. Uh, my name is Jimmy, and I'm also 25. I told someone <laughs> I was 26 at the bar, and then they checked my ID and noticed I was not, and they thought it was a fake in Vegas. So 2019 is off to a great start. But if yeah, you're a new listener, important we would to know your age. 2019 goal. <laughs> yeah. Know how yeah. old you are. I was like, fuck. <laughs> so if you're new here, we'd really appreciate it if you got, went and dropped us a five-star review. And while you're there... Make sure you mark every other five star review helpful. So the one from the art, the the bad guys uh, that they left that they keep saying is legitimate uh, gets knocked down the list because that that one's mean. <laughs> there are a few mean ones mixed in there. <laughs> Too mean. <laughs> so where can they email us? Can can they email us? Yeah, uh, we do have an email. We haven't gotten uh, fan letters there in a while but uh it is fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com um uh, if you send us one we will read it on the show this week we're coming at you live from boston and we have news on final destination rebooting three from hell tom atkins is back and a whole lot more and in segment two we're reviewing escape room and holy shit dr loomis we've left him alone for two weeks and now he's back i can hear him He's phoning Just dusting in. Dusting him off. Here he we comes. Can, we have a Halloween alert. I can hear him. Oh, he's coming. He's like, <laughs> I need, I need to scream. <laughs> Except he already did. Uh, Halloween comes out today on Blu-ray. Uh, I tried to get the Best Buy one. But um, they didn't have it for store pickup, so I got the just normal 4K Blu-ray, and I'm gonna get the Best Buy Special Boy later. Did the Best Buy Special Boy have like a unique cover or like a steelbook or what was it? It's got the laziest steelbook of all time. It's got okay. that Comic-Con poster on the front, just like mm-hmm. that. And then on the back, it's got the one of the jack-o'-lanterns from the trailer, but not the one with the heart eyes. It's just a jack-o'-lantern. And then when you <laughs> okay. open it up, it's one of the promo shots of Lori holding the gun up at the window when she sees Michael in the window in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty... I'd go so far as to call it bare minimum. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's something for a steelbook. It's not great. Maybe maybe we'll get something else down the line, but it's something, I guess. Yeah, and you know what? 
I'm a little salty, just like a little salty. And it's not because the special feature I was in was cut. It's because I saw every horror writer getting a box in the mail with the Blu-ray and one of those bloody variant masks from Trick or Treat yeah. Studios. Uh, I saw those going around Twitter where many of the horror writers that I follow opened it up with the little box that played the theme song and you got the mask and you got the 4K Blu-ray. I don't know what I have to do for <laughs> Universal to realize that I am, A, like a direct line to the fan base of this movie, <laughs> and B, like, that I made 50 videos about it. What do I got to do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much more you could have possibly done <laughs> to, yeah. to, to put yourself I, so, on their radar. So I was like, what the fuck? So I emailed them, and... I got in touch with the company that sent out the masks, and unfortunately, they were really nice. They were really cool. They were like, we had exactly enough as we sent out, but they put me on the press list for the future. So it's kind of like a win there because, you know, I would definitely take the future press stuff for videos so I can unbox things or whatever over like getting one mask that I don't even really want. It was more of like a thing where I just felt I had FOMO. I was like, damn, like, right. All these, (laughs) what? You're like, well, why wasn't I included on this list? I right. should have been there. And, it, and like, I don't, I don't have this, like, complex or anything. I just feel like if there's one list I should have been included on, I think it's that one. Like, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's reasonable of me to feel that way. Right. Especially after so, making all those videos and going to the premiere, speaking with Turek, seemed like everything should have been lined up there. Yeah, I feel like if Blumhouse handled like anything other than making the actual movie, right. it, things would have gone just a little bit better. Like the the cover art for the DVD and like the main poster wouldn't have just been a close-up portrait mode shot from an iPhone mm-hmm. of Michael's mask. The special <laughs> features uh, would have included a DVD commentary at the very least. Would have been nice. Um, and... You know, they'd acknowledge YouTubers' existence. That's a big one. Yeah, that I, I think cutting the feature that included them. I don't understand why, like, these the movie company. It's not just Universal. Like, I'm not calling out directly Universal. It's just every big movie company is just like YouTube. What is that? Like, what? <laughs> they just don't get it. I don't understand. Like, uh, right when that's like the quickest avenue to the youngest audience, and like. Yeah. A very loyal fan base. Yeah, it's just weird, and I don't know that 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 was just kind of like, oh man, like are you kidding me? I I knew I wasn't gonna get one because <laughs> I I had to reach out and ask for a screening of Halloween, and it ended up mm-hmm. being after Salem. So I was like, well, I don't need to go, I don't need to go again. Like someone else can have my seat at this screening because I know there's like other smaller writers or other smaller YouTubers out there who haven't, hadn't seen it at that point that would have liked to right. be there. So I was like, all right, that's cool. And uh, I did get to go to the glass screening last night, though, that Universal did. And cool. they gave me a little ticket that said VIP. That was pretty oh, cool. And so I got to person. I got to walk in and take the masking tape off one of the movie chairs and be like, oh, this, this is reserved. That's cool. Yeah, but then I was an hour early, so only two people saw. <laughs> You couldn't flex on anybody because you were one of two people in the theater. No, I flexed on like one person and then I turned around and there were like five people in the front row. And I was like, well, they didn't see. <laughs> they don't even know. Yeah. I was like, why are you putting them in the front row? I can't flex on them. I was like the one time I get to flex is just I'm too early. 
Because I usually, th- when these screenings are at Arclight Hollywood, right, I leave work at 5, and sometimes I get there at 7.30, and sometimes I get there at, like, 7. But mm-hmm. this time I got there at 6.05. I was like, what the, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so I just sat in that chair, and I played that hole game um, where you, like, are the hole, and you drag it around on your phone. Oh, Donut County? No, I played the the ripoff because that's all oh. I had at the time. Oh, the, fo- the phone version of Donut yeah. County? <laughs> yeah, so I played that, and I was like, cool. This is this is a bad flex. Okay, so between this Halloween update and getting into the real news, I had an experience in Vegas. Well, my girlfriend did that I wanted to tell you about, George. So Oh yeah. Lay you know, on me. You guys, you, you know that George and I are big fans of Zach Baggins and everything he does after we watched Demon House, his movie uh, about the house in Gary, Indiana that he bought. <laughs> the, the number one paranormal investigator. Yeah, and it's kind of a meme, but it's also it's serious. Like the guy knows his stuff. He's pretty seems pretty cool, and he has that show Ghost Adventures that we both kind of become addicted to. Uh, <laughs> he has a museum in Las Vegas called Zach Vegas the Haunted Museum. And when I knew I was going for CES, I was like, I really wanted to go. But my girlfriend Kelsey is a huge fan of Zach Baggins and Ghost Adventures. So she said I couldn't go without her. And then I got really lucky at the end of the trip. Everyone went back early, but we didn't have space in our car for everyone that we rented because Austin came before we did. So um, Kelsey looked at flights and there was a $45 flight to Vegas. So we decided I could keep the room because it couldn't be canceled for a night. Then I extended an extra day. Then Kelsey flying to Vegas. So of course we went to Zach Baggins, the Haunted Museum. And you, you can't you can't skip out on Zach Baggins the Haunted Museum. It was so cool. It's not tacky at all. Like I was kind of expecting it to be a little tacky. Right. You thought it might be kind of hokey or like <laughs> It's not. It is so well put together. The tour you take is $44, but it's an hour and a half long and there's really? no filler. Yeah, you're taken through this entire house. There's multiple guides. They're all super knowledgeable and just like really nice. They want to answer your questions. They'll tell you about like any paranormal experiences they had. And it felt like they were telling the truth to me. And it's not all haunted shit he has in there. He has mm-hmm. Dr. Kevorkian's fan, which is crazy. It's just in there with all the equipment, which was nuts to see. He has Charles Manson's ashes and I think teeth which was cool. Oh my God. He has one of the rooms is like a recreation of Ed Gein's barn. And he has the cauldron that he cooked people's insides in. And he also has his shovel. So he has some like legitimately some cool real stuff. like serial killer artifacts that. <laughs> yeah. And he had a doll he brought in there like earlier in the day that we went there. It was covered in blood. And I guess like this girl saw her dad shoot her mom and the blood got on this doll and the doll's like haunted with the girl. So, oh my gosh. I don't know. And there was a there's a part where they, they have another doll that they just brought in and it's in its own room and they have that thing that sounds like a staticky radio that they use in the show. And mm-hmm. the girl was asking it questions and someone like made a comment about like, "Oh, you could be asking anything." She asked very specific stuff and the machine answered. It was really creepy. And they have a freak show guy who not only put a six inch drill into his nose all the way he vertical or horizontal straight in (laughs) straight all the way in dude and then he spun it it was like and um he then he put two hooks in his bottom eyelids that had Mm -hmm. chains connected to them connected to a paint can and had kelsey pour water in the paint can and then he swung them back and forth from his (laughs) eyes And he was really nice. He wasn't, like, scary or anything. He was nice. But the coolest part was 
Me and George's biggest meme from this show is Bella Lugosi's mirror because there's the episode <laughs> when he opened the museum. He had all these like his creepy friends come and walk through, and one of the guys looked in Bella Lugosi's mirror and fainted and fell on his back. <laughs> so they have this thing covered, and they let you look in it if you want to. And I looked in it, and it just creeped me out. But my girlfriend Kelsey looked in it, and she had a paranormal experience. She looked at this mirror, and after that, she was extremely hot the rest of the time we were in there, and she felt <laughs> nauseous. And we leave, and she's like, oh, I feel fine now. Did you think it was hot in there? And I'm like, no, it was like totally fine. The temperature was totally fine. She's like, holy fuck, I think I got haunted. They really should have some kind of I got haunted at Zach Baggins the Haunted Museum merchandise. Yeah, it was weird. So... It was just really cool. Honestly, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't what I what I got. And what I got mm-hmm. was legitimately one of the coolest places I've ever been. It was so awesome. I highly yeah, recommend it. That's for sure a place that I'd like to visit. And it just seems like a cool um, collection of these like bizarre artifacts that you don't really see anywhere other than people like Zach Baggins, who have built this illustrious career on paranormal investigation and and have the funds to actually get all this kind of stuff together. It's like, you know, you, you don't really see a modern day freak show or or real life haunted attraction very often. Yeah. So it's it's cool that someone is taking the time and the money to create an actual cool experience for people that like that kind of stuff. And the actual house it's in is haunted as well. So I don't know. I thought it was really cool. Um, Did you see the little model of the Anton LaVey house? Oh, yeah, he had that in there. I saw that. Uh, the rooms they take you in are all really cool. There's one where he has celebrity memorabilia. He has, like, Patrick Swayze's tooth. He has the original <laughs> death Polaroid of Chris Farley, which is... Really? That dude, I, he overdosed, but he's, like, covered in blood. It's crazy. He's, like, all it was disgusting. Um, he has some... Uh, he has, like... Oh, the original death photo of the room where Michael Jackson's doctor killed him. That was pretty crazy. Just weirdest He's got stuff. All kinds of oddities and, <laughs> and odds and ends. Yeah, but when you go in the barn, that's Ed Gein's barn. This is a room in the house where he cut out the ceiling of the room and it goes all the way up. And he's got really it. The floor is like creaky. It feels like you're outside. He's got like lightning and thunder effects and everything, but they're really good. Just wow. it's really so well. He spares done. no expense to, no. to make it. No, he definitely doesn't. Uh, it was really cool. I liked it Make a lot. it worth that $40 tour. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't meet him. He could be a huge dick. But everyone, for the most part, seems to say he's a cool guy. Like, our Uber driver was like, did you have fun? I was like, yeah. He's like, that guy's really cool. He's, he comes by all the time. Um, so, I don't know. If you're in yeah, Vegas, you I, should definitely check it out. I, honestly, the only things I've ever seen of people talk about him say he's the nicest guy in the world. So, I can't imagine that he's at all a mean-spirited human being. Yeah. So... All right, I think we should get into the news now. I just want to tell everyone about that. So the first thing you got on here is that Tony Collette, star of Hereditary, is joining Anna Kendrick, star of Pitch Perfect, in a sci-fi thriller called Stowaway. It's directed by Joe Penna, and he's the director of Mads Mikkelsen's movie Arctic, which I guess comes out this year, in addition to Mads Mikkelsen's other movie, Polar. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's a busy man this year, while being also in Kojima's Death Stranding. <laughs> Yeah, it's so weird. There's always something weird happening to his eyes. Like in Polar, yeah. he has an eye patch. Death Stranding, he's like bleeding. And in uh, Doctor Strange, they're all fucked up. Yeah, and I haven't noticed that, that through line in his career, but you really got it. Yeah. You nailed it. So 
He cast Anna Kendrick in a leading role of this movie, and the story revolves around a mission headed to Mars, where an unintended stowaway accidentally causes severe damage to the spaceship's life support system. Wow, that's a cool premise. That sucks. Facing seems, dwindling resources. Seems like a big mistake. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> how did they get there? I want to know. That's like, well, we meant to fill up gas, but I ended up popping my back two tires. <laughs> Oops. So facing Facing dwindling resources and a potentially grim outcome, a medical researcher played by Anna Kendrick emerges as the only dissenting voice against the clinical logic of both her commander, Tony Collette, and the ship's biologist, uncredited. Who do you think it is? I bet it's Willem Dafoe. That'd be awesome. Yeah, he was really cool in Aquaman. I liked him. (laughs) Maybe it'll be uh, that other actor that came back for Aquaman. Uh Who's the the Rocky guy? Oh, Sylvester Stallone? No. no. Oh, uh, Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Dolph Lundgren will be the biologist. <laughs> yeah. I forgot he was in Aquaman. <laughs> he was looking good. Yeah, he's, man. He's getting back into it. Creed 2 and Aquaman. He's had a couple yeah. of heavy hitters. Fuck yeah. So I'm excited. This sounds cool. I didn't even like know this was a thing until you put it on here. And then I clicked into the article. It looks pretty sweet. I'll check this out. Yeah, it's kind of a cool concept. I like those um, kind of off-world survivalist thriller movies. Like, I thought um, The Martian was pretty good, other than it being almost, like, too delving too much into the science of it. Where yeah. Where I just kind of wanted to see the survival aspect and... The concept is cool enough. Right. Just putting characters in an environment where they're alone on a planet and need to survive with very limited resources is a tense, cool premise. And I think <laughs> to overcomplicate it is where that movie went wrong and how this movie could kind of course correct. Yeah. That happens a lot when you're adapting a novel, which I think is what happened with the Martian. And I think the smart thing that the haunting of Hill house, which I finally watched it was it took the basic key elements from the story, but it modernized them and told its own little tale, but it mm-hmm. worked in different quotes from the book, which I thought was cool. I liked that a lot. I felt like that was a good way to do it because books are cool when you adapt them, but I feel like you have to change them because there's, when you've had things visually represented, there's things you don't think about when it's not visual that you have to like account for, you know? Yeah, there's definitely like a lot of weird pacing things in books that don't come across so well in direct adaptations. Right. In books, they'll change setting a lot or switch character perspectives on a whim, and you can't do that on screen effectively. Yeah, that's why that was my biggest problem with uh, Fantastic Beasts too. It it plays out like a book, you know, like it jumps from location to location. Like characters just show up and then they leave. Because J.K. Rowling wrote the movie, so mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that they're like, hey, you need someone to edit your scripts so that they work like screenplays now and not <laughs> novels. Yeah, probably a good idea. But yeah, um, there's another sci-fi movie coming out actually this week on Netflix on Friday called IO, and uh, Anthony Mackie is in it. And basically oh, it's really? this whole thing. Yeah, I was going to put it on here, but it doesn't necessarily look like horror. It's a, a post-apocalyptic movie where Earth is like uninhabitable and... I guess they're going to space or something. It looks pretty cool. Like, the effects in the trailer looked really good. Uh, so I'm probably going to check that out. I don't know. It just kind of came out of nowhere. It's one of those. Is that the first uh, Netflix original for the year? 
I think so. Because Polar so. comes out next week, I want to say. And that's yeah, the comic the book. That's like the John Wick with Mads Mikkelsen, basically. Right. And yeah. I want to I see that. We'll probably talk about that on the show. But um, speaking of things that could go to streaming, Channel Zero, like we all predicted, is canceled now. It's like official. People are just kind of waiting to see, but we all just sort of knew it would be canceled. Uh, yeah, writing was on the wall for a while. Yeah, and you know what? Like four seasons is a pretty – that's a solid run, you know? Yeah, I mean, for something that was such a strange concept with the quality completely based on how well they can adapt these internet stories, mm-hmm. it was a real shot in the dark where <laughs> the quality could have been really bad, but it kind of surprised me and I think everybody who watched it and how good it actually did in adapting stories and making them legitimately creepy. Yeah, so... The way people found out was the showrunner, Nick Antosco, is, like, the coolest. He's That dude needs is working on Child's Play TV show right now, so it's not like he's going to go hungry. But he said, mm-hmm. after four seasons, Channel Zero is no more at Sci-Fi. I love making this show, and I would love to do. I would have loved to do more, but I can't complain too much about doing four stories I loved with people who I loved working with. I'm deeply, deeply grateful for the experience, especially to everybody who watched and talked about and wrote about the show. There are stories we didn't get to tell and creatures you didn't get to see, but it's but still might, which is a good little tease. Meanwhile, mm. the first three seasons are free on are currently on Shutter. Fourth season will be soon. So we have a question in the chat from H Van Demand. I like that it rhymes. This is on our Discord, which everyone can go to. It's linked on my YouTube channel. He says, what's our favorite Channel Zero season, and what would we have liked to see in another one? My favorite one is still the second one, No End House. No End House was a really great adaptation. Yeah, it was, like, super good. Um, and what it, there was one that I've read on No Sleep that kind of blew up where a guy worked out in Alaska and his house got broken into by a Bigfoot. I feel like that would make a good one. Yeah. I think um, my, my favorite season is probably either No End House. It's probably No End House. Candle Cove was pretty well done, though. I think that they mm-hmm. um, did a good job of actually adapting the creepy channel that all the kids watched that the whole creepypasta was based around. I think they did like just a way better job than you could give them any credit <laughs> than you'd expect. Yeah, totally. To actually like make that seem realistic and kind of campy but also have this very sinister vibe to it and i think they deserve a lot of credit for that but um i kind of agree that i don't know if i have a specific creepypasta to reference but i think anything with like a more cryptid based creature would have been cool like a mothman story or um mothman's begging for it yeah i mean just something like a mothman a bigfoot something where you go out you get lost in the woods and you have to fight this kind of weird creature i'd love to see what kind of special effects they would use to bring a cryptid to life me too that's a really that's the direction i'd like to see like any tv show take i know that dc for their streaming service is doing a swamp thing show um i'm not paying for that i'm just gonna be real like (laughs) yeah for sure yeah fuck that but not fuck the show to fuck all these streaming services coming out for every single channel it's worse than cable but (laughs) um you know, I think this show could live on at Shutter, but I don't think it will just because 
even though Shutter has been killing it with the Joe Bob stuff, I'd I'd imagine that after the last drive-in, they probably saw a pretty big drop-off in people who watched. You know, it's probably a pretty steep incline down just because the allure of it being his send-off is taken away. And That's true. Even though it was over Thanksgiving and Christmas, I feel like Thanksgiving probably did better than the Christmas one because just people are busy, you know? Yeah. And, and it's so... Christmas movies are so seasonal that you don't want to watch them in January. It's mm-hmm. not something where if you missed it that night of, you'll go back and watch a Christmas Joe Bob marathon two months down the road. It's something that you're really only in the mood for during that time. Yeah, and I thought it was smart that they did the marathons with Phantasm, those four of the Phantasm movies. So one, three, four, and five, I guess mm-hmm. they did because they skipped two. That was smart because that made it rewatchable. And it wasn't, they didn't like decorate for Christmas in the Christmas ones. I feel like they combated that well. And I know that they said they hit the numbers they needed to. But I'd still imagine that Shudder, going back to my main point, has a limited budget right now for buying up shows and everything. And if they are going to spend the money to keep producing a show like this, they got to be positive people are going to watch it. And I I don't, I don't want to say like I definitively know because I don't. But while I have seen more people catch on to it because of Shudder, I don't think the numbers have really blown anyone away. Like, I've seen a few people watch it on Shudder, Channel Zero, talking about Right. I think it kind of had a big attachment rate when they put all the seasons on and people were finally like, oh, I can right. go and check out this show because I haven't had a chance to check them out on Sci-Fi's website or wherever they were before that. And having them all on a streaming service where you can binge the whole season, I think, was a smart place for them. Yeah, but I think if it does come back in any way from Shutter, I think they could maybe do a annual or semi-annual thing where they bring it back right. for like one big episode, one one-hour special year or something. Instead of doing two seasons in one year, like they just did with that show, you know? Right. Which is odd <laughs> to say, like, like to say the least about it. That was that was weird. Yeah, I think they just knew, you know, that they wanted to push out whatever the last content that they had was instead of dragging it out into the new year. So they figured, yeah, last week in October, we'll just finish it up. Whatever we had, we'll just put it all out in a week and, and see what happens. And we do have creep show coming from Greg Nicotero, um, you know, on there. And I'm sure that'll be great. And if that really takes off and they get some subscribers bumped up, channel zero could come back again later, you know, because I'm sure Nick and Tosca wants to take a break and work on Child's Play, the TV show, which which we don't know anything about, really. There's no trailer or anything like that. We don't even know if it's filming, but we know it's real because people keep talking about it. So (laughs) it's a bummer, but we got four seasons out of it. They're all very consistently good. It's hard to be upset. Yeah, I mean, we got a product that was better than any of us could have ever imagined. So (laughs) you kind of got to take the good with the bad in this situation. Mm -hmm. And then things that are coming back, like that we didn't expect Rob Zombie. He finished three from hell and that has completed the trilogy. So he went on a summer tour. Remember we, we definitely talked about this before the summer where he was going on tour before finishing the editing on three from hell. And, uh, he brought everyone back and he finally finished editing it, I guess. So the movie's coming out this year and he's introducing new characters, which we, which we both, me and you expected this. We talked about this, I think it was right after I did my reviews for Halloween and Halloween 2, his versions, because there are actors in those movies that weren't in The Devil's Rejects or House of a Thousand Corpses, but he's adding in Clint Howard 
uh, and who is this? Who is the other guy? Jeff Daniel Phillips, who are both in Halloween and Halloween 2, respectively. So it's cool that he's bringing more friends into his little circle, I guess. I am like. He's kind of like the Adam Sandler for his own little horror right. universe. Right. Just... God. I like became a fan of his music, though. It's kind of like crazy. Like. <laughs> I, when I did that H2 review, I, I listened. I was like, you know what? I got to give his music a fair shake. He did put us on his Instagram, which was really cool. Yeah. That, and that is still a highlight of, dude, of last year for sure. His music is awesome. It's so good. It's weird. It's its own thing for sure, but I really like it. I still listen to him a lot. And just. Yeah, dude. Past, Present, and Future is a kick ass album. That thing kicks. Like, and I've seen Every song him, on there is pretty awesome. I, yeah, and I've seen him be really nice to fans online a lot, you know. He seems like a good dude. I I feel like I hope that 31 humbled him a little bit. And mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense, right? Like, you do 31, it gets just ravaged by critics. So it's like you go back to what you know people like to make right. this movie. I hope it's good. I I just, I don't know. I don't think House of, I think House of a Thousand Corpses is really good. Devil's Rejects I thought was great. And then me and you revisited it. And I was just like, ugh. Yeah, it's a, it's a little rough when you come back to it. <laughs> yeah. And- I kind of want to watch it again just to give it a fair shake, though. And then this is just... I feel like this is his last shot, you know, to make something really memorable. I mean, I feel like if he's going to do it with any of his movies where he puts everything into it and just kind of says, this is, you know, all of my talents and all of my effort and money and everything are going into one movie, I feel like this is the franchise to do it in. And this is probably... You know, this is a series that he's been working on for a lot of his life he, right. he did a, a picture on instagram of him directing uh like behind the camera for each of the three movies and it's like man dude's way older now than when he was filming house of a thousand corpses it's like you know he's he's grown up a bit and he's learned a lot so maybe this is his you know last hurrah to really knock it out of the park i just really hope he found the fun in it this time directing it that he had working on those first two movies. Cause you could tell it's just like, there's an excitement in the directing in those movies. That's kind of lost in both Halloween and Halloween two, definitely 31 Lords of Salem though. That movie does not get a fair shake. Like that movie's awesome. I, I think that's a great movie. I, so if he can find whatever he tapped into to make Lords of Salem house of a thousand corpses and devil's rejects for this. I mean, like it could be really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we were, We've been a bit harsh on it as we talk as we've talked yeah. about it in the past, but but people change. You know, it's been a while since we <laughs> talked about it. Yeah, and I don't want it to be bad. I like I I really just I enjoy this to be a great movie and to have it kind of revitalize his career a little bit. If this is what he actually wants to do, or if this is a big send off, I'd love it to be. You know, he ends his directing career with a bang. I was going into 2019, I was going to remember my age, and I was going to go into it with positive vibes and try and be excited for movies again, and I've already lost out on remembering my age, so I feel like I really just have to try and be positive about this. I mean, you're batting 500 at this point, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so... You know, but... I'm excited for 3 From Hell. I'll watch it. I think it's coming out, like, on VOD first, so it's not like we really have to do much to see it. Yeah, and I think it'd be cool if it landed in, like, an October release. Mm-hmm. That would be great. I yeah. Would, I would appreciate that. So next up on here, you've got that Ridley Scott's Alien is getting a 40th anniversary 4K Ultra HD release in the UK this April. 
Uh, why isn't it coming out here? What the hell? <laughs> so uh, a Czech retailer <laughs> has apparently leaked the date of it coming out. Um, <laughs> it's only rated for the European countries on the cover. Oh, okay. So I don't know if... I would buy it's... that on 4K. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's something where it is also coming to the United States, but we only know for a fact that it's coming to the the UK through this Czech retailer. But um, the tentative release date is April 1st, 2019. So hopefully this isn't just a big April Fool's prank. <laughs> so speaking of Alien, we didn't have this on here, but I really wanted to talk about it. And I just remembered, did you see everything that happened with uh, the Amanda Ripley stuff? No. Okay, so before I came home for Christmas, Alien Anthology's Instagram posted this thing where it was like, in 2019, the Alien Universe expands, watch, play, read. And they've already announced a comic book featuring Amanda Ripley that's supposed to come out this year. And okay. that's that's the daughter of uh, whatever, Sigourney Weaver. Of Ripley. Yeah. yeah, of Ripley. What is her first name? Does she have one? I've always, I think <laughs> she's just known as Ripley. Damn. Okay. Anyway, she had a kid who was the main character of Alien Isolation. Uh, and everyone was like, watch, play, read. So we have the comic book coming out. That's the read. And they say play. So that must mean we're getting a sequel to Alien Isolation. And then there, there were those rumors around um, the Game Awards that Alien Blackout, a new shooter, was going to be announced. And that kind of didn't happen. But then mm-hmm. they announced Alien Blackout, which is a sequel to Alien Isolation. But it's only on mobile phones. <laughs> It's a phone I game. I don't understand this recent trend with companies coming out and being like, we know that you want a continuation of this series. We know that you'd love more of this universe. So play it on your phone. Yeah. And it's, it's a, to be fair, pe- people who previewed it are saying that it's actually really fun. It's kind of like a Five Nights at Freddy's clone where it's called Alien Blackout because it stars Amanda Ripley and she's trapped again on a space station infested with aliens. And you kind of, it's inspired by the end of Alien Covenant when um, David is opening and closing those doors and the vents to like herd the alien over to Catherine Watterson's character. Uh-huh. So she can like, it will kill, presumably kill her. Um, it's inspired by that. So you're kind of trying to lead the alien away from these people and get them to safety in a time limit because once the timer is up uh the ship blacks out and that's why it's called alien blackout uh and it has levels and it's not free to play so there's there probably won't be microtransactions it's just a five dollar game so i would really like a sequel to alien isolation but this doesn't seem like all things considered the worst way it could go no i mean i think everyone would like a full-fledged you know, console release of something more in that universe. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I mean who I guess take what you can get. At least it's not a <laughs> alien endless runner with microtransaction. Right. Which is something they could easily whip up. I'm sure. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, so people don't really understand what the watch part of it is because we figured out watch and, or read and play. So hope they're, they already confirmed they're not doing a feature film featuring her, but mm-hmm. They're doing something, so I would guess an animated feature or maybe a Netflix show. Yeah, maybe a Netflix original or something. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm so... I'm not really sure what the rights situation is for Aliens, but it seems like Netflix can get whatever they want, so... Yeah, I I would watch that. It would be really cool. I like that character. Um, I'd like yeah, to like, see her continue. It'd be cool to see like an anime like in the vein of Castlevania, but for Alien. Yeah, uh, today on YouTube, one of my recommended videos was for this channel called Alien Theory, and it's kind of, you know that 
um, channel I like Star Wars explained that my friend mm-hmm. Alex does. Yeah, it's just like that, but for aliens with the comics and everything. And I watched a video all about this guy who ended up on a planet where the aliens like took over a space station, but they had been there for a while, the xenomorphs, and they like ran out of people to put the eggs in. So they were trying to like feed people and keep them healthy so that they could create their own larva because they they are smart. They just never really live long enough to evolve more. And right. it turned out that the cave they were in had black mold that was killing their eggs, the face hugger eggs and everything. Mm-hmm. And this guy was like helping them out. He was like feed this guy they brought in, he was like feeding people that they were keeping captive and, you know, studying the eggs and making it look like he was trying to help, but he was actually spreading the black mold all around and like killing things. So long story short, the xenomorphs try and make him fuck his mom. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he obviously doesn't do that. So he chokes her out and kills her because the aliens had already bitten her limbs off and they like glued glued her to the wall. So the aliens are like pretty mad. So they use a face hugger on him, but thankfully for him, they let him leave right after the face hugger egg. The face hugger is like infected with whatever this mold is. So the egg just dies inside of him and he has to like surgically take it out. And then the ship that they came there on is just totally fine. The aliens didn't know what to do with it. So they didn't destroy it. So he gets in there, calls Wayland Utani. They pick him up and they're like, thanks for your service. And they fix them all up. And he just studies xenomorphs for the rest of his life. And I was like, that's there's like all this story for alien that i just never heard so right there's this I thought crazy that was really cool. dark universe that, that they've been cultivating in these comics that I, most people are probably just entirely oblivious to yeah that that would be a really cool like i don't know anthology episode thing i thought that was like just a cool story it was yeah, scary I mean, and the art in it was really cool yeah um, it seems like something they could easily adapt to like it you know wouldn't be overly complicated fit in 10 episodes you could make it creepy you can make it cool i'd be yeah. down for that so check out alien theory but we can talk about the news now that was all alien news so i don't know why i'm like apologizing for it <laughs> so this one i think you just put in here for me right the tom atkins one <laughs> i mean did you watch the trailer yeah it's fucking awesome so yeah. tom, tom atkins <laughs> is back in a short film he's playing a sheriff and the film is called polybius which is weird because at my job we just did a video about polybius and in the, the plot synopsis of this short is that in 1981, a mysterious arcade game popped up in random places in Oregon. During its run, government men would visit the game, take readings, and leave. Those that had the misfortune of playing claimed to suffer from depression, night terrors, obsession, and more. This story takes place at the beginning of all that. So um, Jennifer is the main character. She plays an intelligent teen. She witnesses her brother succumb to the game and she's arrived at the police station to talk with Sheriff Atkins where she's questioned <laughs> by him and his protege and they all three discover what Polybius is. It looks really cool. <laughs> yeah, this is, um, if you're unfamiliar, based on a true uh, urban legend, I guess, like a real urban legend um, about this game, uh, Polybius, that people claim to have seen it in arcades and and basically follows the plot of this movie where it was secretly a government training arcade game to test the effects of this on people and and how the government could control them like mk ultra type stuff yeah which i, I mean I've, I've always thought it was a cool concept to do something on some kind of book or movie or tv show yeah um, uh I, remember that angry video game nerd episode yeah, i was just about to say um 
he did like a 30 minute short on this that was pretty cool and interesting it's like found uh, footage yeah it's like found footage but also uh informational like it both is documentary in the sense that it tells you kind of the story of the legend and the and also kind of then moves into a short film where there's like actual scripted events and and it is cool and so i just thought it was weird that no one's ever really touched on this before and and i just thought this was kind of a cool cool concept for something yeah that channel we launched at work this is that explanation channel or whatever the first video we did was all about polybius and Mm. we shot it in an arcade downstairs so if anyone wants to like hear the whole story of the actual machine that video is actually pretty good and i didn't even edit it so it's not even a real plug (laughs) but yeah yeah, tom atkins is in this short playing sheriff atkins so um it's cool. Uh, I don't think he's acted in a little while, so this is his first uh, return to film in, in at least a few years, and it s- still looks pretty good. Still rocking the mustache. He's still he still he does it. a lot of uh, conventions, I know, but yeah, he hasn't acted in a while. But, but uh, yeah, so if you're you're itching to see what Atkins is up to, the most uh, underrated actor of the '80s, he's up to this uh, Polybius short. Yeah, he like they wanted to parody his character in Night of the Creeps, but. They just ended up using him. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like, it had to have been some kind of pipe dream where they were like, we'll call this character Sheriff Atkins because obviously we want Tom Atkins to play this guy, but there's no way we'll ever get that. And then it happens somehow. Yeah. So that was cool. Uh, I'm going to let you handle this next one because this is definitely on here for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Hannibal writer, uh, Thomas Ferris, has written his first novel in 13 years, and it's titled... Carrie Mora. Okay. Um, so the brief synopsis that we got is $25 million in cartel gold lies beneath a mansion on the Miami Beach waterfront. Ruthless men have tracked it for years. Leading the pack is Hans Peter Schneider. Schindler? Schneider, by, you got it. <laughs> driven by unspeakable appetites, he makes a living flushing out the violent fantasies of other richer men. So... Um, uh, also, Karamora is the caretaker of the house, has escaped from the violence of her native country, stays in the Miami on a wobbly uh, temp- yeah, temporary protected status subject to the iron whim of the ICE. She works at many jobs to survive. Beautiful, marked by war, Carrie catches the eye of Hans Peter, and he, cho- he cho- closes in on the treasure. But Karamora has surprising skills, and her will to survive has been tested before. Monsters lurk in the crevices between male desire and female survival. Such a release on May 21st, 2019. So you're going to read it? Yeah. Um, I've read both um, The Sense of Lambs and Red Dragon. So I'm going to put this on my list for sure. I don't really know what sparked uh, <laughs> Thomas Harris's, like, in, you know, his inspiration to write again after 13 mm. years of, of being off the grid. But um, it sounds kind of cool. It sounds kind of like a mix between the most dangerous game and like a, you know, like a female strong, like a alien almost, like a strong female survival character. Yeah. Seems I'll check like something, this out. Something I'd be into. Yeah, dude. I'll, I'll definitely read this, but I'm going to ask you to do a book report on it for the show. <laughs> it sounds scary. Yeah. Um, I mean, we all know that he can kind of write those very like manipulative kind of creepy smart egotistical like sociopath characters so that's probably what this 
um, you know, Hans Peter's going to be. And then uh, he obviously knows how to write strong female leads with, like, Clarice or um, I forget what the girlfriend's name is in uh, Red Dragon, but um, the, the blind uh, oh, girlfriend okay. of, of the, the serial killer. But I don't know. I think he's just a really good writer and can tell uh, very intricate stories. So this is something that I'm interested in seeing, you know, if he still has it all these years later. Yeah, uh, I will definitely love to hear from that, hear from you on that. So (laughs) this is weird news we got next up on here. Tom Savini has joined Trick or Treat Studios and he's got a line of zombie masks coming later this year. Uh, That's notable on its own just because Tom Savini is like the one of the best special effects people of all time easily. Right. But my like kind of theory on this is that after getting to make the mask for Halloween, they kind of want to get into making prosthetics or masks for other horror movies. And who's who better to bring on board than Tom Savini, you know? Right. They got the money to pay for them now with all those <laughs> Halloween masks. Yeah, I mean, those were been flying off the shelves. You can't even buy them. I mean, they all sold out instantly. So um, I think if you're definitely going to bring in one professional like some special effects professional from the industry to help consult and and make your product of a higher quality i think i there is no one better than tom savini to do that right um so it's cool that they got the cream of the crop to come in and and kind of help with future products like i know uh we heard a lot about the um halloween masks before they came out them basically being uh, screen level quality, and then they were a little bit disappointing to some people when they came out. <laughs> they were not screen quality, and um, it looks they're like they're not paint great. On... <laughs> yeah, the, the paint's a little rough. Um, it doesn't really look like anything higher than maybe like a spirit Halloween quality mask. Yeah, when when it seems it, like they kind of promised more than that. <laughs> the shape when... of it is right because I've definitely seen re- repaints of it that make it look as good as the one in the movie, and apparently that's not that hard to do. But when mm-hmm. you can like kind of pinch it between your fingers and the paint is flecking off, that's just not quality. And it's they're sixty bucks to be fair, which isn't that expensive. But yeah, just I don't know. I I really wish instead of dumping all this money into you know, hiring Tom Savini, as cool as that is, they'd figure out their shipping issues, like having more masks readily available, letting people know if they'll be able to actually buy these things at Party City instead of just being like, if they show up there, they show up there, you know? There right. were just a lot of customer service issues with the way the masks were handled that really rubbed me the wrong way. But because, like, they're making these high quality masks, but no one can buy them. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> right. It definitely seems like distribution and and kind of the core of the business should have been what they were focusing on. But I don't know. I think getting Tom Savini in your corner for a mask making company is kind of extremely good press. So um, at least that'll maybe drive sales so they can focus on that stuff in the future. Maybe they'll try to figure that stuff out for these zombie masks that he's personally making. I don't see Tom Savini really putting his name on anything that he that wouldn't be like of a high quality. Yeah. So that's true. That's know, a good point. I didn't think about with that. Him being on board as a sign of better quality to come. Right. That's it's true. It's just, it's upsetting because we we're pretty sure a sequel to Halloween is coming. And like, we know 
we know that they are working on a sequel. We don't know when it's coming. I just feel like this 40th anniversary, when they have this big convention, they have all these NECA toys, they have all of this like hype around Halloween. That really was the year to nail your distribution and figure out how to make more of these masks. And they just, they really dropped the ball. You know, that's just right. <laughs> the sad truth of it. So hopefully in the future, if like Freddie or Jason come back, they're better about, you know, actually making enough product to deliver on the amount that people want. But the last two things we have to talk about today. The first one is that Tom York, he put together a vinyl release of unheard Suspiria tracks and it instantly sold out. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's, that's terrible. There were yeah, only 1500 um, of them. <laughs> yeah. Only 1500. So super limited uh, release of these. And <laughs> it's definitely going to cause a culture of, uh, second-hand selling of these for extremely high markups on eBay. Is the music on them going to be released, or is it just like, if you want to hear these songs, you have to buy one of these 1,500 albums? I can't imagine that it'll stay on just these albums forever. Right. It just seems, like, insane to me. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, but I didn't know if you had more info on it than I did. That's crazy. Did you try no, and buy I saw one? that. I didn't try to buy one. I, I had really only heard about it after I saw that there was a super limited amount and they all sold out instantly. And I was like, oh, kind of sucks. Like, there's no way I'm going to pay whatever exorbitant fee they're charging for them on eBay. So I don't know if I'll ever get one. But um, I, I definitely love to hear the tracks. I think it'd be really interesting to see what those songs sound like. Yeah, me too. Hopefully someone who gets it uploads it if they don't release it. But... That's a hilarious story that it sold out that quick. He, dude's got some fame still. Yeah, definitely has a huge following and wrote a really kick-ass soundtrack for my favorite movie of last year. So it would have been cool to hear these, but I guess we'll just have to wait a little longer. Right. Hopefully. And the, la- the last thing we have to talk about here is probably the biggest news. New Line Cinema is actually pushing forward on a Final Destination reboot, which is crazy because just a couple weeks ago, Bloody Disgusting interviewed Tony Todd for the home video release of Hellfest, and he was like, yeah, that probably won't happen just because even though they were all profitable, um, the stunts in those movies were insanely expensive to produce, so they didn't see as big of a return as they wanted, which is kind of weird, though, because Final Destination 5 is the second most profitable after the first one in the entire series. So. Yeah, so it seems like if you go by those numbers, it kind of had a rise in popularity throughout the series where people dropped off but then came back for the last one. Right. Or, you know, maybe had only watched the first one, caught marathon through the other, you know, two through four, and then came back to the theaters for five. Right. It's just, it's weird. I don't know, because five was really good. It felt like a good spot to do a reboot, but... You know, it's been 10, uh, well, actually, it's almost been 10 years since 5 came out. Technology has just blown up since 2011, so they definitely have some new stuff they can do with the idea of Final Destination, and those movies don't really connect all that much, so a reboot is just a glorified sequel for this series, but the guys writing it are Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton, and the interesting thing about them is not only that they've written... Piranha 3D, they wrote Piranha 3 Double D, they wrote like My Bloody Valentine and Saw 4, 5, 6, and 7, but they also wrote the first script for Halloween Returns that was canceled. But as we know from the show here, 
we've read part of that script and a lot of the stuff in that script actually made it into Halloween 2018. So these guys have a pedigree working on these event style horror movies and they've right. had experience with some big franchises. So it, right. it's exciting ideas. Yeah. Like obviously they know how to write these big, huge blockbuster horror movies that are in the case of the saw movies, you know, gore fest, but they're, they're built on spectacle and that's kind of what, the backs of the Fellows Nation movies were built on as well. Right. And Childish Childish Sinatra asked what we would like to see different from a Final Destination reboot. Um, Like, I really want to see at least one death, the big death happen on a cruise ship. Because they've never done that. And I thought it was like really clever for coming up with that. But a bunch of people commented on the video I made about this saying Uh that they want you know that to happen and i think that's cool we've never really seen that style of death and that's just another form of transportation they haven't tackled yet that would terrify people yeah that is that that would be interesting to see <laughs> like uh well they did the piranha movies so what they do like a mexican vacation cruise where people leave from california and then it all goes bad from there <laughs> like, right or at I least like that. have one kill or something you know just even if yeah. it's a little gag kill, show you're listening to your fans. It would be cool to produce something like that. But that that was the one I was like, really, like, this would be cool. Yeah. Um, that, that would be pretty interesting. I think maybe what I'd want out of it is, like, maybe just, like, better written characters in a, in a way. Yeah. Maybe, like, a, a, a stronger focus on characters working together to try to fight off the inevitable maybe like it wasn't done extremely well in this movie but the friday the 13th or not the friday the 13th the nightmare on elm street remake where all the kids who are trying to put off sleep are kind of working together they're taking mm-hmm. the um the caffeine pills and researching the folklore of the town and yeah like having friendship s- right having that be at I the core of it where it's like people like the characters working together to try and get out of this situation, but inevitably failing because as we all know from the final destination series, you cannot escape death. Yeah. And, um, I just, I think the series is actually really good. The first two and the fifth one, especially are just great movies. I just rewatched the first one and it's a legitimately well-made good movie. There's not a lot of CGI in it. I would actually say there's almost no CGI in it. That plane crash at the beginning is fucking scary it still looks really good it does not look fake at all Mm. and just some of the kills in that movie are really inventive to this day i think and i I just think it's time for this like this is one series where i'm like yeah you know what it went away for a little while but now's a good time to bring it back as long as they keep it practical or whatever it's weird because it's a series that i don't know if anybody really got sick of right it went out on a high note Right, and which I never think, happens with horror. Right, if you look at something like Saw Seven or Jigsaw, where you get to that late in the series, and everybody's like, "I wish this series ended four movies ago." Yeah, <laughs> like where you know they, it's like they used to have good ideas, but now they're just milking it, and every movie feels like a cash grab. Right, um, and they, I don't think they even wanted to take it past three because the fourth one is called The Final Destination, <laughs> and then they have five, right. and it made more money than all of them except for the first one it's just like right but it's it's somehow never felt stale never felt um 
like they were running out of ideas. I think it's just because they have that like revolving cast of characters. Every one of those movies has one kill too that just sticks out. Right, right. Has one very inventive moment that sticks in your mind. And it's just, I don't know, it seems like a series that a lot of people will be happy to see come back and one that can be done well with ease as long as you get kind of the the main writing idea right and you get some cool big spectacles in there yeah so i just thought that was really it's just cool that's that's a franchise that it's all lining up the right way and i hope those guys come up with a good script but we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with our review of escape room Okay, guys, we're back from a quick break, and this week we're talking about Adam Robitel's Escape Room. This is the first movie I saw when I got back from Michigan before we went to Las Vegas. And when I was texting George today, I was like, what are we going to talk about? And he reminded me that this movie even came out. But (laughs) Adam Robitel just seems to be like the January savior for horror movies because last year he had um, Insidious 4 that made a ton of of money, made a lot Mm -hmm. of money. And... The dude just knows what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, so this movie is capitalizing on the craze of escape rooms, which people make out to be a lot bigger than it is, but they definitely are a big thing right now, and I actually enjoy them. It's kind of like a riff on Saw or Final Destination where six strangers find themselves trapped in circumstances beyond their control, and they have to use their wits to survive. And at the end of this all, if they can make it through these escape rooms, because it's multiple rooms, they get, like, what was it, $10,000? Yeah, 10 Remember, million. we made a joke, but yeah. Yeah, in the trailer, it's 10 million. So they. <laughs> in the movie, it's 10 grand, but in the trailer, it's 10 million. So um, <laughs> Zoe Taylor Russell is the main girl. She's. Uh, oh, no. That's, that's, her, that's not her full name. <laughs> Zoe is played by Taylor Russell. That's the main character. She's a physics student at a local college, and she's, she's kind of like cowardly i would say you know like she's scared to raise her hand in class she's like yeah timid she's kind of the stereotypical extremely smart student that doesn't really you know very introverted but can understand things very well is good with puzzles is you know is like almost so naive like she's almost a like a laurie strode from halloween one in the sense that like right she's almost like too much of a goody two-shoes Right, she yeah, that's a good analog for her. I didn't even think about that, but I like her for the same reasons I like Lori in Halloween One. Then Ben is played by Logan Miller. He's kind of like a knockoff of Wyatt Russell, and <laughs> yeah, very very much so. <laughs> the character Jason is played by Jay Ellis. He's a executive, a wealthy like stock executive, I guess. He's like a stockbroker. I want to say. Mm. Um, Amanda is played by Deborah and Wool. And she's the lady from Daredevil. She's awesome. She's a great actress. She's an ex-military woman. And Danny is played by Nick Dodani. And he's just like the gamer nerd, super stereotypical. So all these characters come together and they realize that these escape rooms have all been created around traumatic events that happened in their actual lives. And right. they it's based re- on like one of them personally yeah. per room. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's pretty good. We also forgot Mike because he's forgettable as fuck. 
He's uh, played by Tyler <laughs> I liked Levine. Mike. <laughs> yeah, he had some funny jokes, some funny dad jokes. Sorry, Mike. He's you're not he forgettable. Was, he, he was definitely uh, one of my more likable characters during the beginning parts of the movie. I, I think basically the issue with this movie is the writing isn't very good. No, uh, I and I, I want to say that it was though at one point because the movie is just chopped up. Like, it's yeah, crazy. It, I think the problem is that it starts off interesting and kind of um, like you, you can kind of see the cogs working. You can see, kind of understand where they're trying to go with certain things. Um, the transition from like the first room to the second room is actually really interesting and cool um, where they go from like a very hot environment where the room is literally exploding behind them and burning to the ground to this like little cabin and they go outside mm-hmm. and then it's winter and there's you know a floor of ice and you think that oh maybe because if they don't follow the rules they're gonna die because one character falls through the ice and dies <laughs> it's right. like oh so maybe that's kind of what they're going with but <laughs> it, it just felt like they had a lot of ideas and then they kind of halfway through the movie drop half of them and then kind of clumsily fumble their way to the end yeah it so it feels like they made this movie assuming it would just be something they could throw out because of course this is a Sony movie they're like we'll just throw it out in January and then they realized that what they created is actually good so they reshot the whole last third of the movie to set up a potential sequel and then they were like well we've opened up some plot threads that need to be addressed earlier in the movie so they went back and fixed some things there and they're like oh we opened some more in the middle of the movie and they just kept like kind of like it, felt, it feels like they just kept fucking with it, you know? Right. Like, like they, they kept going back, tweaking things, changing stuff, reshooting, or or changing the order of certain scenes. And it just feels like if they would have had a more cohesive idea from the start and agreed on exactly what the plot should have been, you know, how these rooms, which are kind of uh, star of the movie in and of themselves, kind of would work together better. Right, um, right. I think if they would have done that, focused on, okay, this is the transition from x from a to b to c and these are the characters that are going to die in room b and this is going to be in room d if they would have just kind of sat down storyboarded it better and then executed it instead of kind of working back to front and changing things all in reverse order i think that would have worked a lot better yeah and so this movie was actually delayed from september of last year to January of this year, which makes me think that's when all these reshoots sort of happened. And I think it would have released and played a lot better in September because uh, it's a Thanksgiving movie. It takes place over Thanksgiving. So <laughs> yeah, um, watching they... it after Christmas was just like, oh, okay, we're a little late there, but uh, all right. I want right. I, I, I want to say, though, I did have fun watching it, and the, the earlier escape rooms are better where people have to figure out how to actually you know, get through these things with these high stakes, I appreciated that. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, and the characters, for the most part, the way they interact with each other is cool. They get a little hammy and stereotypical at times Definitely. for my taste. But uh, Deborah Ann Wool is a really good actress. Like, she's almost too good for this movie. She killed it. I, I loved yeah. her character. Um, I like the main girl, too, Zoe. I thought she was, like, fine. The one character, though, oh, my God. This Logan Miller's Ben is just awful. It's just so... <laughs> He's so cringy, and it does the thing where it starts the movie with him in one of the rooms, and he's like, oh, like, seven numbers, holy shit, like, one, two, nine, got it. She's like, but then it's wrong. He's like, ah, like, what the fuck? And then, like, the room's crushing him, and then it's, like, three hours earlier. It's like, oh, you're going to do a flashback from, like, 
<laughs> hours ago. Like, okay. Right. And a lot of the ADR is terrible. Like they just didn't even get the same actors back. They got people who tried to sound like them, but don't. <laughs> it's just weird. I mean, there's just a lot of weird like editing and technical story issues in it. I think it is a really fun concept, though. One thing that I was thinking while like while watching it was that this would have kind of been a cool experience on Netflix if they could do some of the Bandersnatch stuff. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. It would have been sweet if in the rooms you could maybe interact with things in a way or try to find the solution to puzzles through context clues or through short like bursts of the characters saying something like, like in the earlier escape rooms, like you were saying, you know, they have to solve it based on these traumatic events in these people's lives. So, like, one of them, the solution to a door puzzle is a word, and he knows that it's Rudolph because, uh, you know, he was singing it when he got in a car accident. And it's like, that kind of would have been cool to kind of flip through the rooms and see the different puzzles and the different clues left around the room and, and interact with them in that way. Yeah, and it kind of feels like, you know... They were like, okay, this movie, uh, we can make some sacrifices in the quality of this movie to set up a franchise for you because they probably saw talent and like inventiveness in this, which I think is fair uh, because I do think they could make a better sequel. Just yeah, definitely. Seeing the clever stuff that Robotel and the writers were able to come up with here. And I, I just, I feel like Adam Robotel is too good of a director for this movie, though. You know, like, he he's too good to be dealing with this shit of, like, cutting up his movies, having to ADR stuff. Like, Insidious 4 was just a little tired, I feel like, because it's the fourth movie in that franchise. But it was really well directed. He did a great job with that. And i just really like to see him get to take a movie and make it past, you know, uh, January. <laughs> right. It, it feels like he's getting all these kind of last resort projects where studios not really confident in them. They don't really know if they're going to succeed or not. Um, but they put, you know, a pretty talented director in there and they're like, well, see how good you can make it. It doesn't really matter. It's going to come out in January, but then he's completely destroyed expectations. This movie made, uh, I think like $40 million so far on a yeah. $9 million budget. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're good. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, is showing huge, huge dividends. And I think he's proving himself. Hopefully he gets, like you were saying, a more high-profile project where he can maybe have a little more control and dictate more how the series is going to go or, you know, just kind of have more creative control over it because I think he is a smart director to have at the helm of these. Yeah, and uh, he made The Taking of Deborah Logan, which is a really scary found footage movie that's yeah. pretty inventive. So I just feel like the guy's proven his pedigree and he should be able to make something bigger next. Definitely. But uh, he'll probably get to make another one of these at least. And, if he, and hopefully if he, wants he, to. Can, he can actually get one idea together and solidify that and, and focus on that instead of having it have it all chopped up and and be completely changed around on the cutting room floor. Yeah, I agree. Um so I really don't have much more to say on it. Like, it's a very fine movie. If you're looking for a fun PG-13 horror movie that's better than anything else Sony's been putting out lately, I'd go check this out. I think it's worth watching once. I don't think it's going to blow you away, but it's it was fun. Yeah, I had a good time with it in theaters. Like, I thought it was a cool concept. I thought it was executed fairly well. Um, I think it definitely starts way stronger than it ends. Um 
but like you said, it's <laughs> uh, it's very forgettable. Uh, it doesn't like I could see the franchise potential in it, but uh, I don't think this will ever be hailed as like. There's no way they'll ever make another one as good as the original. <laughs> yeah, like, right. this is one that is a franchise that will definitely build on itself as it comes out. If, it's like if they have nowhere to go to... but up with it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, but uh, before we go, we do have one more listener question from Midnight Society, uh, our biggest fan, who says, uh, which room was your favorite in Escape Room? And mm. so I'd say my favorite was probably, um, honestly, the first room. I think that that uh, room with the secretary in it was like, it's in the trailer, it's generally like pretty creepy the mannequin it's the first introduction to how the escape rooms work it has a lot of cool puzzle um puzzle solving parts to it with you know it's not just like oh you open the door and i'll get out there's like two or three different puzzles within that one and and it really is the moment where the characters are like oh shit this could actually be detrimental to me (laughs) if i don't play my cards right i think i like the second one just because that outdoor setting indoors was really cool and having them use the magnet to bring up the block of ice so they can, you know, melt it and stuff like just making them work together more. I like that. I thought that was yeah. cool. Yeah. And I think that's where the movie kind of is strong. Like, I think putting people together that are all dysfunctional and all are not good people, making them work together for a common goal or to solve intricate puzzles is kind of the heart of the good idea and where they should have flesh that out more yeah so hopefully they can iterate uh stronger on that in sequels right um that's pretty much all i have to say about it though thanks for the question danielle it was a really good one yeah um yeah uh what did you give this on letterboxd uh two and a half i want to say yeah i think i gave it a three i thought it was very okay yeah it's like aggressively okay yeah <laughs> It's better than I thought it would be. I'll say that. Yeah, I definitely had fun with it, and it's the best Sony movie to come out recently for sure. Bye. Bye.